Peace, hope, joy, and love. Today, on the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast, we reflect on how these main themes of the Advent season bring meaning to our everyday lives. And now, today's message. In the various churches that I've worked over the years, some of them full-time, some of them on an interim basis, like we do now, like I'm doing now, um, churches have always worked with two things. Two things are really vital and important. The first one is identity, which is who are we? Who are we as a church? How do we get to where we are today? The second one is vision. Where are we going as a church? What is ahead of us? What do we want to become? Okay, here's, um, Phil gave you a test this morning. So here's my Greek test for you. You're learning that I kind of really like uh, Greek words. What is the, the Greek word that is used to describe this very unique love of God? What's that word? Agape. Okay. Agape love is love that is um, unconditional, is absolute. It's the kind of love that takes the initiative. So I made up a new word this morning. I thought it was a brand new word for us this morning. The word is agapic. You got that? Agapic. Then I found it was actually in the dictionary. I kind of burst my bubble, but it's still a great word. And that's our word for today. What kind of church do we want to become? I'll give you the answer. We want to be an agapic church. Got that? That's our theme. Harry and I have lived in ministry and lived in Victoria for over 40 years. And in all these years, I have asked myself very seriously, what kind of church would be able to transform the spiritual geography of our lovely city? In terms of geography, we live in one of the loveliest places in the world. We really do. But the spiritual geography of our city is really not so good. How can we change the eternal destiny of thousands and thousands of people? I have in my heart, even at my age, I have what I would call a holy discontent beyond words for us to be all that God wants us to be and more. Pulsing and radiating with the power of the Spirit of God. Now, you know, and I know there are some passages in scriptures that are really so profound and beautiful that sermons, no matter how articulate they are, will really not do them justice. The best we can hope for is that our stumbling words and our clumsy hands will not really do them harm. One of those kind of passages, I think, is 1 John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible this morning or work off your iPad or phone, whatever you do, um, if you'd just like to turn to 1 John chapter 4. And about verse 16, halfway through verse 16 in that chapter, John very simply says three words, God is love. God is love. And over and over again, John shapes and fashions what this unique godly love does, how it works and what it looks like, what it looks like. Do you remember one day in a room with a group of his followers in the shadow of the cross, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, do you understand what Jesus is really saying? Jesus is saying that God has given the world He's given the city of Victoria the right to look at the church, the right to look at Central Baptist Church and come to a conclusion about the authenticity of their belief and their faith in God. God is saying to the city of Victoria, I'm giving you permission to look at the church. And on the basis of what you see, 
you can judge whether or not they really are my followers. The criteria is not how high do they raise their hands. It's not about how they dress. It's not really about what they believe about spiritual gifts or what their worship music is like, whether it's traditional or whether they sing off the wall. Doesn't matter. The criteria and the standard, the measuring stick God has given our world is simply this. How well do they work in the area of loving one another? We need to be serious about that. Anybody here know when Central Baptist Church began? Nineteen twenty-seven. You win the prize. I don't know what the prize is, but you win the prize. Do you know what that means? You're five years away from celebrating your one hundredth birthday. You really got to have a party for that one. And this Advent Sunday today, twenty twenty-two, has the potential to be nothing less than the starting place for Central Baptist Church to take the first step in a whole new direction of ministry that could start a spiritual direction that would pulse through this city. You know, we could brainstorm a dozen different programs and ways to more people to come to Christ. We could create more activities for people, design creative brochures to invite them in, creative spirit, create spiritual styles of worship. Now, some of these ideas might work, some of them may not. But God lays a way right before us this morning to transform a church, to transform a city. It is simply this. We have to grow in loving one another. This unique word for love, agape, is used somewhere around 28 times in 1 John chapter 4. God is calling us to be and to build an agape church, one that operates and works in love. Frankly, a lot of what we call love, what we sing about love, isn't really love at all. It's soft sentiment. It's fuzzy feelings. It is not agape kind of love. And I don't think it's hard to love one another the way in which Jesus talks about. Frankly, I think it's impossible. If we're honest, the human heart has a very small gas tank. And when we try to go too many miles, we quickly run out of love pretty fast. We end up running on empty. As human beings, we know that we only can take hurts for so long until our resources are completed and exhausted. Our spiritual, emotional gas tank is empty. And so we just simply say, I quit. I'm out of here. Whether it's church or work or sometimes marriage and family, whatever, I'm done. So where do we start? Where do we start? Let me invite you into a passage this morning. The passage lies, the heart of the passage lies in the fact that everything to do with love really must begin with God. We're reminded, says John, God is love. The passage says, this is how God loved us. He first loved us. The origin of love, like the meaning of life, starts outside of ourselves, not in our inside. It begins outside in the nature, the essence of God. John simply says to us, God is love. And when we slow down and stop and think and meditate on that, we are still to a moment of realization about how he acts and feels towards everything. When he creates, he creates in love. When he rules, he rules in love. When he judges, he judges in love. When he disciplines us, he disciplines in love. When he provides, 
as Rebecca was talking about. He provides in love. He cannot really do anything else because love is so fundamentally his nature. Jesus knew the secret of how to love people. He says to his disciples in John chapter 15, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Jesus never operated independently from the Father. He said his food, meaning by that his strength and his stamina was to be to do the Father's will. He simply lived under the umbrella of the Father's love. And as he knew that the Father loved him and how deeply. So his love for others was the reproduction of the love of the Father through him. Have you ever been in one of those um, really fancy wedding receptions in a big fancy hotel? Well, they have, you know, they have a fountain made up of, of um, wine glasses. You ever been seen one of those? They're all very carefully stacked. And is the wine or the champagne, um, Baptists don't drink champagne, sorry. Um, we clap, but we don't drink champagne. As the wine or champagne flows from the top glass down to the others, row by row by row. That's the father's love flowing into the son overflows from him to the hearts of the disciples, you and me. From them, it pours down into each one of our lives. And so when we find ourselves genuinely hungry for the work of God in our lives, the place to begin is to move from shallow sentimentalism about love into the depths of the heart of the Father for us. Jesus says to us, this is how God has shown his love toward us. He sent his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Back to Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? God made visible his love in the ultimate way in the cross. The cross is where God set his price and holiness. He set it high. He set it way high. And he also paid the bill. The cross, folks, is where we lay down our pride. We give up our ego. We give up the need to be right. The cross is where we lay down our excuses. We leave behind our explanations. We abandon our defensiveness. We give our side of the story. We surrender our pride. And we yield our arrogance. So if we truly want to love someone... Perhaps restore a relationship. We need to go before them. We need to start at the cross. We need to visit the cross just by ourselves. And once again, to lay down our pride. Give up our need to be right. Let go of our own stuff. That's not easy for most of us. We know that. It's not easy in marriages. It's not easy in families. It's not easy in relationships. But this is what we do at the cross. And it's why the cross is always the starting place, both to be loved by God, to love ourselves, and to love others. The only person we really can change in life is ourselves. We're not here to change our spouses. We're not here to change our kids, grandkids. The heart change we need most is to be embraced and immersed in the love of the Father. Love always works in relationships. 
That's why John says to us, verse 20, if we cannot say we love God, but at the same time we hate our brother, John says that won't do. Because love always works in relationships. So what would life in an agapic church look like? John gives us some hints, some clues, not the complete picture, but enough this morning to challenge us this Advent Sunday. I think, first of all, we would want to say that an agapic church always finds, always finds practical ways to love. First John 4, 7. Dear friends, let's love from God. Love comes from God. In an earlier chapter, he says, Dear children, let us not love just with words or tongue, but with actions and with truth. Now, don't forget the, the words part. I think sometimes we skip over that too fast. God uses words to communicate. At the baptism of his son, the heavens opened, and he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He loved with words. It's God saying he was proud as he watched his son. I have a deep sense that we do not say enough words of love in our marriages. We do not say enough words of love in our families to our children, our daughters, our grandchildren. We don't say enough words of love to each other at church. When we hold back, then love is being denied. So think about it. Starting today are some people within your home circle, within the church circle, that you need to renew your commitment to love in words. Now, love may start with words, but we know it must become much more. As we say, love is a verb. That means it's a doing word. Doing is action. Love is always thought moved into action and words turned into deeds. The invisible is made visible. The unseen becomes seen in us. Love is the risk of giving away something of ourselves and facing the potential of having less than we started with. If I do that, I won't have it anymore. But unless we're willing to take that risk, we're not loving. However, in the mysterious economics of love, when we risk this sacrifice of love, we don't end up with less. You know what? We end up with more. So this morning, if we want to be an agapic church, is there someone to whom you need to express words of love? Maybe this week, this Christmas season. That means a word of encouragement, a word of affirmation, a word of thankfulness. And then beyond that, Make love into a verb in your life. You do not need a committee to do that. Can I tell you this morning, you don't need permission to do that. You already have it from the Father. An agapic church looks for ways to practice love in word and in deed. You see a need, you send a card, you make a call. Agape moves into action. It's as simple as that. As simple as that. Here's another idea that comes out of 1 John 4. An agapic church always refuses to operate from fear. It doesn't work from fear. Rather, it builds confidence in people. John says, verse 18, there is no fear in love because he says, perfect love, perfect agape, casts out fear. 
you know and I know both are aware that some people are paralyzed in life to move ahead because frankly they're afraid they might fail and the fear of failure brings them to a standstill remember in the gospels the parable of what we call the talents some people take what they've been given and they put it to work and they work hard and they increase it they double it or whatever but one person took what he had been given and what did he do he buried it in the ground he dug a hole and put it in the ground and covered it up and when later when he's asked by the master you know I give you something you just give me the same thing back why was that what's the reason in that you remember what his answer was he says I was afraid I was afraid that's the fear of failure there are two forces that kill love Two forces that suffocate it faster than anything. Number one is criticism. Most people will not move into a venture and refuse to take on a role, simply won't take the lead in the project if they're going to be criticized and attacked by others who are sitting in their seats. People won't take risks if their failures are met with, I told you so. I knew it. And sadly, I think churches can breed that kind of criticism. Now, let's be honest. Love will not avoid speaking the truth. But love always has the grace to speak the truth in love. The other person is not to be hurt. Not to be ridiculed. They have to be encouraged and helped. If there's a critical spirit in a church, that can be changed and transformed by an outpouring of the love of God. The second thing that kills love is competition. People cannot love if they have to win. Competition denies the ability to love. When we have to win, we cannot love. Any of you watch the TV program Survivor? You're getting scared of me now. <laughs> We have one person over here. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched Survivor. The first couple of episodes. I, I watched a few episodes. There's a group of people on an island and through a number of tests or whatever, somebody's going to get chucked off the island. You know, I thought to myself, this is the absolute antithesis, antithesis and opposite of the message of Christian community. Because your success is being guaranteed and gained by voting someone else off the island. That's the opposite of Christian thinking. If you only can win at someone else's expense, that's the opposite of love. If you only win when someone else loses, that is not love. That breeds competition, which destroys any hope of community. Can you imagine being in a church like that? We're going to have a secret meeting this week. And we're going to vote someone out of church. So come next Sunday and find out who it is. If we want community with one another, if we want to love one another, John says we have to eradicate fear. There cannot be love in an atmosphere of fear. 
John says, love drives out fear. But community allows people to fail. And community then helps them succeed the next time. Do you know what love does? In families, in marriages, and in churches, love cleans up the mess. That's what it does. Love builds an atmosphere of confidence. Now, we all make mistakes. But where does an agape kind of love? Mistakes are understood. Mistakes are accepted. Whatever the problem is, it can be fixed. And we move on. First Peter says to us in his little letter, above all, love one another deeply because he says love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is saying love cleans up the mess in marriages and families and churches. Start to practice that. An agape church also takes the initiative to love. John says in verse 19, he says, we love because he first love does. Now, let me be a little bit technical with you for a moment and, and not try to confuse you at all, okay? If you're reading from a King James Version, and that's fine, it will say in verse 19, we love him because he first love does, meaning we love Jesus back. That him probably was not in the original manuscripts. It was put in later. It's called a gloss, perhaps written in the margin, and then the next scribe who copied it simply copied it into the text. What John very probably says was, we love, not just back to Jesus, but we love as a principle of loving. We love people because he first loved us. A lot of healing in relationships will not happen because the, we always think, you know, the other person should go first. You get that idea? Sometimes, again, it's in marriages. Sometimes it's in families. Sometimes it's in relationships with church. We say, well, you know, I'm willing to meet with them. I'm willing to talk to them, and I'm waiting for them to come to me. As a result, hurts remain untreated. If no one is willing to move, it's a stalemate that leaves love frozen and forgiveness paralyzed. God is love. Agape love. And agape love is willing to take the first move. That's what breaks the spiritual stalemate, the relational stalemate. Without this love, we are stuck in a paralyzing deadlock, a relational standoff. That's how God loves, folks. I'll be honest, it's always, always risky to take the first move. I know that. To break the silence, to go and meet, to go and apologize. Silence is one of the ways in which we make people do penance. You got that silence is one of the ways in which we make people pay. You say, how's that? Well, we ask them, what's wrong? Nothing. But if the possible result is healing, then the risk of love is worth it. And I realize that our genuine initiatives of love may be rebuffed, but we are responsible only for our own initiative not their response. If there is someone towards whom you need to make the first move, do it because that's what God's done. That's an agape kind of move. And if we can wait until we can practice that kind of love perfectly, nothing's going to happen. 
So let me suggest to you this Advent Sunday that we have to move in that direction. Maybe we know and experience God's love just a little. It's okay. Take baby steps. Take baby steps. And the more we walk it out, the more we'll show it. The more we'll know it. And the more we will walk out and so on and so forth. This Advent Sunday... I believe that the Spirit of God is capable of starting a tiny ripple in each one of us that could become a spiritual tsunami, a revolution that would change homes and families and this church, pastors and boards and committees, every relationship here and out into our city. There's no new programs to promote. There's no new ideas to parade. The catalyst is simple. It is the plain commandment of Jesus that as a response to the love of God, we simply love one another. In the book of Revelation, Jesus walks amongst the candlesticks, which are his churches. He comes to a church which is strong in teaching and doctrine. Man, they can smell heresy a mile away. They're busy in ministry. People are out every night of the weekend on all kinds of committees. But here is his word to this church. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And you found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. And you have not grown weary. This is the kind of church you say, I want to go to be a pastor there. I'll be the board chairman there. I'll go on committees there. But the next verse from the Lord, but I hold this against you. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Love. We can fail in some things, but we cannot and we must not fail here. This is the ultimate apologetic that we love one another. Think about this, please, very seriously with me. I pray every day for Central Baptist Church to morph more and more into an agapic church, to grow more in health and from that to grow in numbers. You see, we, the health must be here before God gives us new spiritual babies to take care of. He trusts his babies to, to places where there's a spirit of love, where acceptance has replaced criticism, forgiveness has replaced anger. And what would it mean this week for us to stand in the river of God's love, to feel his waves cascading over us and to put love into action? Is there someone this week you have to phone? Is there someone to whom you have to write? I suggest you not email, buy a stamp. Is there someone you have to encourage? Is there someone needs a hug? Someone to whom you have to ask and go and apologize and ask forgiveness? Is there someone in your mind that you need to take a practical gift to? Is there someone that you have to meet with? Someone you have to release from your hurt and your anger that you've been holding on to? Someone where you have to make, you have to make the first move. When Paul writes to a young pastor called Timothy, he says to him, the goal of our commands. He means all of our instruction, all of our teaching. The goal and the purpose for all of that, he says, is love. 
which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So everything we need to know is contained within the, the embryo of that simple instruction, God is love. So let's love one another because love comes from God. That's not hard to understand. All of, already know, all of us already know that. So I thought about you deeply in the last couple of weeks. I thought about my relationship with you even as an interim pastor for the few months that I will be here. And here's what came to my mind. It's a kind of pastor's paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13. If I was to deliver sermons with all the persuasiveness and eloquence in the world, but I did not love you, I would be no more than a talking head. If I was at every board meeting about the business of the church and out every night at meetings and micromanaging every detail and visiting everybody, but if I did not love you, it would all mean nothing. If I poured myself into my work so that it almost killed me, but I did not love you, it would amount to nothing. So I would be bankrupt, bankrupt without love. We have three things to lead us forward. They are trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these, the best of these three, says Paul, is love. Love. I invite you to stand. The worship team's coming back. I said to you this morning, the only person we can ever change in life is ourselves. And the heart change that we need the most is to be embraced by and immersed in the love of the Father. So in these last few minutes, can you imagine, can you imagine God's love pouring into Christ and from Christ pouring into you and you pouring that into someone else? And so it goes, and it goes, and it goes. This morning, very simply, when you bow your head for a moment before we sing, can you light a candle of love in your heart? If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.